Welcome to Writers with Wrinkles, where authors Beth McMullen and Lisa Schmidt iron out the wrinkles in writing, publishing, and everything in between, one podcast at a time. I'm Beth McMullen. And I'm Lisa Schmid. And we're the co-hosts of Writers with Wrinkles. This is season three, episode eight. And today we are thrilled to welcome Andrew Ossian to the show. Andrew is the author of several books for children and young adults, as well as numerous best-selling and award-winning video games. A transplant from the Midwest, he lives in Washington, D.C. with his family and two very naughty cats, one of which we just saw. So cool. He loves breakfast cereal, the sound of the ocean, and the feeling of a brand new book in his hands. So welcome, Andrew, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This is a fantastic way to spend Valentine's Day. I know. It's Valentine's Day. So before we launch into questions, you had a book come out called Spellbinders, The Not-So-Chosen One. This was in uh, last year, 2023. Mm -hmm. And you have the next in the series due out in June 2024. Can you tell us a little bit about the series and how it came to be? Sure, I'd love to. So Spellbinders is the first series I've ever written, and it's kind of been a dream of mine to write a middle grade series ever since I was itty bitty. I think it's I think that that's the like the genre and the age group that that really has always appealed to me. So it's called Spellbinders. It is about a boy named Ben who is obsessed with games of all kinds. Um, that's kind of how he sees the world is through the lens of gaming, whether it's board games and tabletop role-playing games or video games or multiplayer games. It's really how he escapes his reality, but it's also kind of a reality all on its own when it comes to his social life and the way he copes with everyday life. And the story starts with Ben going through some tough times in his personal life in the real world. His parents are going through a tough separation. He has moved with his mom to the suburbs outside of the city where he grew up. And it's making it difficult to see the friends that he's grown up with and that are primary social group and the people that he games with and and sort of faces the world with, I guess you would say. Um, and so he's all, he feels very much on his own out in the burbs. <laughs> and he uh, disappears into the games that always give him comfort and that allow him to go and feel powerful. He kind of goes into this fantasy where he is a powerful hero. He has skills and abilities that give him some control over the world that he is in which he resides. You know, I identified with that a lot as a kid growing up. It's one of the reasons why I love playing games is being able to change roles and be someone I'm not and try on those different skins. Well, Ben thinks gaming is all great and fun and easy because you get to go and be the all-powerful hero. Well, one day when he's kind of at his lowest, he meets a mysterious girl named Niara, who at first glance and by all appearances seems to be like right out of one of his fantasy role-playing games. Um, And when she invites him on a quest back to her world, he thinks it's all part of some larger game narrative that he is, you know, very excited to jump in on and join. And he soon realizes that it's real and that this other world is a real other world. And that in this other world, he is seen as this prophesied destined chosen one who's supposed to save this entire kingdom and this entire um, fantasy continent from this giant sort of conspiracy that's going on. And 
he learns pretty quickly that being the hero and being the one everyone's looking to to solve their problems is not as exciting as it is in the stories and that it's actually kind of the worst of all like all of his worst fears come true where everyone's looking at him he doesn't have the answers he doesn't have any of the powers he normally does when he's fantasizing and he starts to look back on his life back home as as something really special and that he misses it quite a bit and he kind of has to balance those two things and along the way he meets some great new friends they sort of become his new group of friends his newfound family they have a lot of fun together and they go through some tough times and help each other through it the next book is spellbinders break the game it's coming out in june of this year 2024 uh it is an expansion of the the universe that is introduced in the first book and the different characters get to go on some of their own sort of side adventures and we get to explore their backgrounds and their wants and desires and things it's been a lot of fun the series will continue i'm working on the third one now and you know fingers crossed for a bright future that sounds so fun. Thank you. I mean, I love the intersection of video games and the impact on life and that escapism. I think that is really appealing for kids of that middle grade space. You know, they are gaming for most of them. A lot of them is a big part of their socialization and their interaction with others. And I think being able to bring that into a book and into this fictional world is going to be a lot of fun. My 19-year-old is a huge gamer, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and all these these huge multiplayer, whatever they I'm mm-hmm. clueless, but he's like very dialed in. And it's it's always been a big part of how he thinks about stories. It's been interesting to watch that evolution. It's a huge part of my life. Before we started talking for the podcast, you had asked if, I, if the writing came first or the, the games came first. The game writing came first and definitely writing traditionally, I guess, with pen and paper and and then eventually a computer came first because there weren't really tools for a layperson who wasn't a technician or computer science programmer um, to code video games unless they were very multi-talented, right? But I did grow up during sort of the re- like the, the early mainstreaming renaissance of home video games. So it has been something that's just baked into how I see stories. I feel that semi-kinship with current young generations because for them, it's much more prominent. It's how they see everything. So, Andrew, can you share about your journey from a debut author to a multifaceted creator in both literature and video games? How do these worlds intersect for you? People will want to know, like, how did you make that jump? How did you get involved with writing the narrative behind a video game? It's interesting because it's changed so much just in the last two decades that I've been working in the business and even before that to where, you know, how involved writers are in the process and how prominent a role they play. I I never expected to be able to make the jump. I think that the reason I was able to was a mixture of serendipity, location, and just like the connections I made from being a, a sociable person who likes to form relationships at my jobs. And by you know chance, I, I was really lucky. I grew up wanting to write games or wanting to experience game stories. There was no true path to that career when I was young, unless you were interested in computer science. Um, and so I never thought about it as a career path. It was just something I really enjoyed to, uh, doing. I used to always joke with my brother, I'd say, I who is a physician now, I'd say, I... I envy you because you know how to get where you're going. You know the path to your profession, to your occupation. But as a writer, you don't know what you're going to do as a writer for a living. It can be a number of things. Uh, you'll be lucky if you're actually writing for a living. It could, you know, 
whether you're doing manuals or greeting cards or copy or books or whatever. So when you're writing a novel, you have approach A. And when you're writing a video game story, you have approach B. So do they intersect at all? Are they totally different? I find that whole area so interesting. I mean, I was at the movies a couple of weeks ago and they did a trailer and it was intense and it was action adventure and it was for a video game. It wasn't a movie. And I, it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I, I'm aware enough because I've watched my son play and I've seen how the you know evolution in video games has really brought to bear the intensity of storytelling because that keeps you in it rather than like asteroids from mm -hmm. our day and age when you're like, okay, I'm blowing up these little whatever and who cares? But, you know, these this intense storytelling just gets you vested and then you come back and you come back. So I get why they're doing it. But so in your experience, where did these, is there an intersection and what is it? There's definitely overlap between the things. Um, I've been really fortunate enough to work with teams of writers who are playwrights, who are comic book writers, who are screenwriters, and then those who are, you know, seasoned or veteran game writers. And there's a lot of overlap with all of those kind of skills and experiences. And and to your point, I think what ended up happening was when games suddenly became uh, cinematic experiences, when they both in look and in sort of storytelling style started to resemble what we think of when we think of film storytelling, suddenly the, the industry saw a demand for writers who could tell more traditional like single player linear stories, because there are you know, there's so many different kinds of storytelling now in games. And, but I think they do all share aspects of traditional prose narrative um, or like a screenplay. Uh, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking pacing is a huge part of it. Pacing and being able to assemble a story that that goes through story beats in ways that allows the, the player or the reader to process information. So when you build out a game story in the same way that you build, build out a novel, you have moments of action and intensity followed by these like quiet moments of to process uh, some of the stuff that's, that's that's taking place for you to understand the context of everything that's going on around you. And we, and we really do approach it from, a, you know, from thematic points of view, from character driven points of view, all the, the things that you would expect to look at when you're writing a story are things that we go about doing first. But the real divergence is the trying to discover what kind of story you're trying to tell and whether or not the game you're making needs a certain kind of story. Because every time you sit down and make a game, like the point of the game is interaction. It's giving the player an experience that they enjoy doing and then kind of creating variances of that uh, variance of that experience. And some games demand like a traditional story what you expect a linear start to finish story other games are more about what i you know emergent narrative which is the kind of story that you go in and you experience but your individual uh, experience playing the game is kind of the story that's being built around you where you're not like playing through scenes like you would in a movie but it's more of like you go into a world and you go from point a to point b and all this crazy stuff happens to you and it's different for everyone who plays and you come out with a story on the other end that it's like your unique customized story and then there are anecdotal stories that's what i call it anecdotal narratives which are like you go into a multiplayer game you have an amazing time with your friends and then you tell 
other people about the story of what happened to you and your friends. And you kind of talk about it over the water cooler for the next six years. And not all games are the same. So you, you kind of have to go in and say, okay, what is, what is the gameplay we are leveraging here? And then how can we best leverage it with a story? Or here's a story and how can we best leverage it with a gameplay that players get engaged with and, and interested in and it keeps them playing? Who comes up with the game idea? So do you get somebody who says, here's a summary of the kind of game that I want to create, make a story to go with it? Or do you say, I have this idea for a story, what game can go with it? So, or are you, are you just kind of developing Mm -hmm. together at the same time? So is it like the technical aspects of the game and the kind of game and the way that it's going to be built? How much do you have a say in that? Or are you just delivered an idea and then you have to kind of run with it and make the story kind of, you know, chicken or the egg comes first? I mean, it really depends on a a lot of factors. It depends on the the scope and budget of the game it depends on what the if there is a a vision holder or creative director who has an idea that they want to and then they get other members of the leadership team to sort of agree on something they want to build then it's you know then for example there's an indiana jones game coming out this year that everyone's excited about and it's because there's never been a game that has captured what it's like to be indiana jones whether it's swinging on a whip fighting nazis jumping on tanks solving weird historical puzzles in the jungle like that fantasy so we usually we start off talking about like what experience do we want to offer the player is it a puzzle game is it like a small puzzle game but that it has some narrative elements on top of it or is it some ambitious epic game that where you're fulfilling what we call player fantasy, which is allowing them to embody a type of character or a, a role in the world and then live out that fantasy and all the things you expect to come with that. I want to be Indiana. I wanted to be Indiana Jones when I was a kid. So this is for me. This might be, you know, at my advanced age, I might just be breaking into playing video <laughs> games. This might be the one. It's amazing. It's taken this long to like, I mean, I've had other Indiana Jones games, but like, you know, the the one that captures that like core Harrison Ford experience. Right. To answer your question, there's usually creative directors involved. And uh, if it's a small team, that same person could be the main programmer and the main artist, right? It could be a team of five people where one person has a great idea and you all sit around and uh, say, okay, well, let's test it. Um, Let's figure out if this is fun to do. And then either someone's already had an idea for how that would narratively make sense or they some you know in a lot of cases they kind of smush something on top of it that that is a story and then the two sort of grow together in a weird frankenstein way so yeah this is so fascinating and i think that this you know that these generations that are coming up through the experience of video games their storytelling is going to be from that gaming perspective and you know, giving the player all these different options. Instead of one narrative, you've got all these different fingers, you know, going off from the main story that are driven by your choices and your direct involvement in the story. Well, it is interesting to see the interactivity of, or just, I guess, interactivity itself being applied to film or television series in in like experimental ways, like very very carefully, but like things where they had recently on Netflix, they've done a couple interactive specials where it's an established universe, like whether it's Black Mirror or um, I think there was one for Kimmy Schmidt or Puss in Boots where there's sort of interactive TV shows because I think there's an expectation now where young people or people who, are, who grew up being the focal point of story of the story. So 
one of the big differences is that when you play a game, you are the center of the universe usually. I mean, even if there's a story, you are touching the world, you are reaching out into space, whether it's two-dimensional, three-dimensional, or, or virtual reality or whatever. You are the one who is interacting with the space around you and making things happen. And in a, in a traditional piece of writing, you are the camera is focused on the characters, not on you. It does not does not turn around and focus on you. And I think with games, you are the center of attention, uh, and people have a somewhat of an expectation going into media now and into storytelling and think like, well, why can't I change this? Like, I want to interact with this in some way, and, and it's, it'll be interesting to see where that's going. So. With all that being said, and that's a lot, based on your experience, what would you give writers who are interested in exploring narrative design in video games? Like, I know you said there's like no real set path, but there's, do you have some suggestions on how people, if they're interested, how they would deep dive into this and, and get involved? Definitely. It's it's funny. I, I talked to more parents and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends about the video game world than I ever do about the children's book world. <laughs> I get a lot of emails from friends who have friends whose you know daughter is coming up and wants to go to school for video games or wants to know how to get in the industry. So I'm always willing to help. Like I always have those conversations and I love to to help people out because I didn't I didn't have that when I was young. And 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 that's I think that's unique to to my generation was that there was no path. I think there are paths now. There are a lot of paths. I mean most most schools have, you know, a handful of courses, if not a whole program around interactive media and game development or software development. There are special schools that that that, that is like their focus, where they prepare designers, developers of all kind. With you know, instead of just programmers, we've got you know game art programs. There are game design programs. There's writing for game programs. The people that come out of those are, are very strong. I knew a lot more than I ever did starting out in the business. Um, just about how games are made. I think that's the biggest puzzle that people have to learn when they go into game development is just sort of how these things are made. And especially some of the larger projects. I mean, these are $100 million teams of 400 people working for five years down to teams of two people working in their basement. But they all kind of follow the same process. Like you have to do similar things just at different scales. And so I, you know, I usually advise that people have a very, very strong game literacy, play a lot of games, read a lot of books, like watch a lot of film and TV, just sort of understand how stories are told in different media, prototype things, create portfolios of game writing, of um, game design documentation, which is a big part of it. I mean, I spent a lot of my time as a game designer writing game documentation, which isn't necessarily anything the players are ever going to see. I would say it's akin to pitch documents or lookbooks for TV series. Things like that, where it's, you know, the more the team understands the game they're making and the, the stories they're telling and the characters that are involved, the better their content, their product, for lack of a better word, is going to be. And the more everyone can align towards the same vision, right? So everybody's working on the same thing and it's not one person's vision. And for me, that's the best part of games. Like that's why I do it, even though I write books too, is it book the book world is where I get to tell my stories as weird as they are. And the game world is where I get to work with like incredibly talented people on stuff that's very exciting. That's where I, I'm inspired every day is by working with people like that. And and when you do that, everybody sort of in the best environments put their puts their egos aside and strives to one goal, which is making this game that everyone kind of kind of sees in their head, even though it's years away from fruition. So I would say create 
portfolios, make your own game, practice like you would with writing uh, and editing and revising your own work, marinate yourself in in the video game industry and the world and like what's out there so you can talk about it. It's the same advice we give often on this show to to aspiring writers. You've got to be in it. You've got to immerse yourself in the world, read the books, things that you aspire to do. Then you you read everybody who's done it before you. So you're taking all that knowledge with you. So that's a good place to wrap up. And Andrew, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom and experience with us. I know this is a topic that we have never touched on before, and I think it will be very interesting for our listeners to hear about it. Of course. No, it's been my pleasure. And I would encourage you to to reach out with any additional questions about it because I talk about it in a lot of sort of vague. No, we are 100% smarter than we were at the beginning. So mission accomplished on our end. And listeners, remember, you can find out more about Andrew in our podcast notes and on our website, writerswithwrinkles.net. Visit either of those to follow, support, and share about the show. I will also be loading in links to Andrew's series, the first one, which is already out, the second one, which you can pre-order now, and we always appreciate pre-orders. And we will see you again next week, February 26th, for a deep dive episode, so please make time to join us for that. And until then, happy reading, writing, and listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Writers with Wrinkles. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.